So I want to continue on that series that we started a couple of weeks ago on just the understanding the blessing of unity, that, that God has placed principles through his word for us. They're not, they're not laws that you have to obey. They are principles that give us guidance for life. And, um, you know, God's always pouring out love. He's always pouring out goodness and grace towards his people, towards everybody, actually. Um, but, that, but just like a river, the w- water in a river, for it to be effective, it flows through banks, right? For a river to be a river, it flows within banks. And the principles that God has given us in his word are like the banks of a river that allow that river to get where it needs to get to. And God wants to fill us up so much with his love and his goodness that there is such an overflow out of us all the time that's just splashing out onto other people. Just splashes of the kingdom, splashes of his healing power, splashes of his glory and goodness everywhere we go. But if that's going to happen, you have to live within the boundaries that God establishes. You know, one of the, one of the I said the other day that... Um, There are certain laws that we live under. You know, there are judicial laws. If you get caught speeding, you're going to pay a fine or you're going to lose your license if you get caught. There are are natural laws, laws of physics, laws of gravity. If you jump off a building or out of a plane, uh, if you haven't got a parachute, when you hit the ground, it's going to hurt. Laws of gravity. There are laws that, um, you know, water always flows downhill. Isn't that true? Laws of physics. Water takes the path of least resistance. It'll always find the path of least resistance. We live in a world right now that is so intent on continually protesting stuff uh, and and it appears as though they're trying to fight against certain things. And yet what it's designed to do is to get everyone to actually take the path of least resistance. It's very cleverly disguised. Salmon will never reproduce young. They'll never fulfill their destiny if they just go with the flow. They've actually got to fight. They've got to fight and they've got to swim upstream. Folk, there is a world system that Paul says in Romans 12 is trying to squeeze us into its mold. It's trying to get us to think and to act and to behave in a particular way that is totally contrary to the reality of the kingdom of God. It's totally contrary to who God is and to his nature and character. And day by day by day, you come under pressure to conform to that kind of system. And sometimes it's so subtle that it can fool you. And if you're not aware of it, if you're not constantly drawing on the Holy Spirit and allowing your spirit and your soul to be filled with the presence of God and with the wisdom of heaven, you will be conformed into the system of this world and you'll end up just going, being washed downstream and you won't fulfill your destiny. There is a way to get water to go uphill, to go against the flow meant to bring in a watering can. If you had a watering can at home and, um, you know, the spout where the water comes out, if that's lower, if you've cut that off so it's lower than the top of the watering can, when you pour water in, 
the more, if, if you fill that can to its brim, water's going to continually come out of that spout because it's lower than the top of the can. Do you understand that? Am I explaining that properly? That's why you'll always see a watering can with the spout part just slightly above where that high water mark is in the can. So if you have a spout that's just a little bit low but below that high water mark and you fill that can, water's going to actually travel up, up against the force of gravity, up that spout and start to come out. And God wants us to live so filled up with his goodness and his glory always continually feeding on the river of his goodness that's coming from his throne. And that's why times of worship are so important for your life. Not just on a Sunday, but for your life every day. Because you need to continually get filled up and be topped up with the glory and the goodness of God so that his goodness can begin to flow out of you and spill out on those around you against the tide and the system of this world. That makes sense? I don't know why I went there, but God knows why. So I said the other day that, um, you know, one of the, probably one of the most well-known psalms um, in the Bible is Psalm 133. It says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, for there the Lord commands the blessing." There is a promise of blessing in your life when we live in unity. And I said there's three kinds of unity that we see through Scripture. There's unity with God, and that's where it all starts. Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that we are in union with Jesus, that we were, as we put our faith in him, as we receive him as Lord and Saviour, it says we were included in him in his death. We were included in him in his burial. We were included in him in his resurrection. And then Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, we were included also in his ascension. So that you and I have been raised with Christ and are seated with him in heavenly places. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, I think it is, I think it's 1 Corinthians 6, that he who unites himself with the Lord is one spirit. Some translations have added a word, one in spirit. They add that little word in. It's not in the original. Because you can say, well, I'm one in spirit with someone. I'm in agreement with them. But that's not what Paul was saying. And that's not the truth that he was trying to convey. He's saying, guys, when you come into union with Jesus, when you receive him as Lord and Saviour, Titus 3 verse 5 says that our spirits have been reborn, have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into you. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, as a seal guaranteeing your future. So the Holy Spirit comes into your life, into your very spirit. He regenerates your spirit and he makes it one with Jesus so that your spirit has been intertwined with the very spirit of Jesus. That's why I'm, I'm a firm believer that once you are saved, you are saved. Once you've received the gift of eternal life that comes because you are in union with the life giver, you cannot lose that. To lose it means the very spirit of Jesus has to die for your spirit to die. 
And that's impossible. The one who has eternal life, the one who gives eternal life, is eternal. Eternal means eternal. Amen? And so, and so the most important union, you know, the most important place of unity we can live in is in union with Jesus. That's where it all starts. That's why I, 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 I just, it's, it's beyond me how people can think that if we can just get all of the different religions, and I'm not just talking about Christian belief, I'm talking about all religions in the world. If we can just get them all to agree, then we'll have unity. No, you won't, because unity begins with Jesus. And if you don't have faith in Jesus, you will never get unity. You will get pseudo-conformity. And conformity is not unity. Tolerance is not unity. Big push today. Tolerate, we've got to tolerate everything. No, you don't. If someone breaks into my house and starts beating my wife up, I'm not going to tolerate that in the name of unity or love. I'm going to beat the heck out of that person. I'm going to make them stop because what they're doing is wrong. And sometimes you've got to stand against the flow of the tide of this world that is, that is just destroying morals, that has that, that just got some wacky, wacky ideas and that, that's trying to force the church to conform to that kind of system. And sometimes you've just got to take a stand and say, no, I'm in union with the holiness and the righteousness and the purity of heaven and I am not going to compromise on that in the name of what you call tolerance. Amen? You get kicked out of some churches for talking like this. Seriously. Seriously. I mean, they're passing legislation right across Australia to limit what you can say and how you can say it. And they're trying to do it here. That's their plan, to do it here in Western Australia as well. Just watch... I'm not going to get political and then behave myself. So it's unity with Jesus, coming into union with him. And as you come into union with him, there's amazing blessings that begin to flow into your life. You receive the gift of eternal life. You receive the gift of the very righteousness of God so that you are declared perfect, 100%. Perfect. You are sanctified. You are justified, just as if you've never sinned. From the day you were born, right till today, God looks at you as 100% perfect. He sees the exact same perfection and holiness that Jesus walks in as yours. It's credited to you. We are forgiven. We are cleansed of all unrighteousness. All, all unrighteousness. What about the fight I had with my husband or wife yesterday? What about that bad thought that I had? What about this that I did? Now, I am cleansed of all unrighteousness so that God holds none of that against me. Does it mean I should ignore that and just act, and just act as though nothing ever happened and just I'll just do it again, doesn't matter, God's forgiven me? No, that's not the way that we live as believers. 
Holy Spirit will come and he will show us, hey, that wasn't quite, that's not in the nature that is in you. That's not who you really are. That's not representing Jesus. And so we can come and we can, we can still confess. There's a place to confess sin. But I don't confess sin to try and beg God to get forgiven. I'm confessing the fact that I am forgiven. In fact, that brings such freedom into your life. Such union with Jesus. All the blessings that come because of that. The second area of unity is union with yourself. Unity within yourself. We've got mental institutions and hospitals and places full of people who are in such internal turmoil within their life. Schizophrenic Christians on one hand say they believe in God and yet act as though they've got all their faith in the devil. Save one day, not save the next. Forgiven one day, not forgiven the next. Of two minds. Two minds. Bible says a double-minded man will not receive anything. It's not that God isn't wanting to pour out blessing upon people. It's the fact that they're in two minds. Am I worthy for God to bless me? Does God really love me? And whenever there's that kind of doubt, folk, you put up an internal barrier that actually stops yourself from receiving what God wants to pour out. You see, there's a love progression. You will never love other people unless you've first learnt how to love yourself. And you will never love yourself properly until you understand and get revelation of how much God loves you. Amen? We love because He first loved us. Talking about principles, we're not talking about laws, we're not talking about old covenant laws and systems, you know, the laws of Moses that, we have, that Israel had to try and follow to be, to be holy. But Jesus says this, all the law and the prophets are all contained in this one law. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbour, how? As yourself. We're not talking about you know, putting yourself up on a pedestal. We're not talking about, you know, some narcissistic lifestyle and attitude. What we're talking about is having an understanding of how God made you. An appreciation of how God sees you. That you see yourself the way that God sees you. You are unique. Billy, there's not another Billy on the planet. There's not another Billy on the planet. And see, what happens is, is because of our own insecurities, we can say, oh, thank goodness for that. When actually we should say, thank goodness. Thank you, God. You've placed something in me. You've made me unique just as I am, the way you wanted me to be, so that I could bless people in a way that no one else can. And, I've, and folks, that's the same for every single one of us. But how many of us believe that? Truly. 
You want to walk in the fullness of blessing? And you know what confidence in God and confidence in who he has made you is actually a blessing. Not something you work, I've got to work real hard to try and get this. You can walk in it in ease and you can rest in it. In that confidence in who God has made you to be when you're at unity within yourself. So there's unity with God. There's unity within yourself. And then there's unity with one another. And when you get all three of those, right? When you get all three of those lined up, man, there is untold. There's the very treasure and blessing of heaven is going to pour out wherever you go. Unity with God. In union with Jesus. Unity within yourself, which you will never have if you are not at peace with God. You will never have that inner unity unless you know you're at peace with God. I'm at peace with God. I hope you are. I hope you're at peace with God. I hope you're not struggling. And we all have questions. There's nothing wrong with having questions. But we need to be at peace with God. And then unity, true unity with one another. Nothing has destroyed the church as much as disunity. And you know, the devil hates unity because he knows the blessing that flows through it because of it. So what's he doing? He's wanting to bring disunity. He does it in marriages. He does it in family. Look at, look at the push to destroy the family at the moment in society. Don't be fooled into thinking, well, that's just giving rights to people with an alternative life. That is a load of rubbish. The entire plan of it is to destroy God's family. It's to destroy the family unit, to undermine the value of the family unit. The devil's all about destruction. It's all about destroying and stealing that which is the pattern and the picture of what is the life of heaven. Jesus' prayer in John 17, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but you are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I pray for them that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How would the world believe? Well, they've got to hear the gospel. No, they actually have to see the gospel demonstrated. How will they see that demonstrated? By the unity that people have. Why was it that even when the church was being so persecuted, I mean, if you, if you put your hand up and said, I'm going to be a part of the church, I'm going to be a believer, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, you know, you put your life at risk immediately. You could be arrested, thrown in prison, 
put in chains or executed. That's how it was for first, second, third century Christians. As soon as you said, I'm a follower of Jesus, your life was in danger. And it's like that in many, in many countries still today. And yet the Bible says that still, despite all of that, that the church kept growing. I mean, you have, who's read Acts chapter 5? Anyone read Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira? You go to church, you got a chance you're going to drop down dead. Hey? Lied to the Holy Spirit. I don't want to get into all of the theology of why and how and everything, but the fact is that people saw that. Man, there was a fear. It says there was a fear that came over the church. And yet despite that, the church grew. It continued to grow every single day. What was the attraction? They saw something within the body of Christ. They saw something within the church that was so attractive that drew them. They said, we want to be a part of this. What was it? It was the love that people had for one another. In union with God, comfortable within who they were because they knew Jesus was in it. Paul says, it's no longer I that live, it's Christ who lives in me. He understood the union he had with Jesus. And then it was their love for one another. And that was so attractive because it was so genuine. You know, we live in a world that falsifies everything. It's false love. Genuine love is love that is there for the benefit of that person with no hook. And yet so much of the expressions of love that we see in the world today, it's got a great big hook in it. I'll love you so long as I get what I want. But there was none of that. Acts chapter 2 says there was no needy among them. How is that possible? Because people came and they brought what they had. They sold possessions. They gave freely to other people out of love because they wanted to bless people. They wanted to love on them. They wanted to shower blessing over them continually every day, just poured out blessing upon one another. So there was no needy among them. Acts chapter 4 says that some people sold property. They sold houses and they came and bought the money so it could be distributed amongst those who were needy so that there would be no more needy. You know, I believe the church does have an obligation towards the poor. But if you have a good look, and I know this might sound a bit controversial, or, um, but if you have a good look through Scripture and you look at the way that the poor were dealt with, right, generously providing what they had, but look at who the poor were. Look at who the poor were. Two things that you'll find. One, predominantly, is talking about those who are poor in spirit. So they, haven't, so they haven't yet come to believe in Jesus. But secondly, most of those in terms of the poor who were being, whose needs were being physically met were people within the church. So they came in, they get saved. People recognize, hey, there's needs here. We don't want you to be poor. And so it's within the body of the church needs were met. 
wasn't pouring millions of dollars outside. It was actually establishing a family, a network, where we're going to look after the people of the church. It's not in a biased way. It's not in a, in a um, what's, the way? what's the word I'm looking for? It's not racist way. It's in a prejudiced way. You know, well, if you're not, if you're not a Christian, we're not going to help you. No, that's not the attitude at all because they did. But the majority of the time, folk, there was no needy in the church. Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor. You're always going to have needy people out there. And we should do what we can to help. But there should be no needy people within the body. Amen? And that came because of a genuine love for one another where we're loving people, not, not for what we can get out of it, but because simply we want to portray the nature and the character and the goodness of God. Because it's His nature in us and we want that to pour out of us. So unity within the body of Christ. People believe because they saw a church that was one. Paul writes this in Colossians 2, verse 2. He says, My purpose is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Why? So that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul knew all the fullness of the kingdom is available to you through Christ. It's when you come into union with Christ and his desire was that as many people as possible could come into the church, could get saved, could come in and stand in that blessing. Folk, that's what we're about. We want to see people blessed, amen? We want to see people come to Jesus. Folk, if the church really understood they really understood the value and the power and the importance of unity, we wouldn't have all these stupid, petty little arguments that happen. And, and let's be honest, most of them are just stupid, petty little things. Put the chair six inches to the wrong side. Oh, give me a break. You come in and someone's sitting in your chair. Who said it was your chair? Huh? That's why they started putting little plaques on chairs. Buy your own. Put your plaque on it. No one else is allowed to sit in this chair. Oh, how pathetic. Some of the arguments, some of the stuff that happens within the church is really, it's embarrassing. It is so embarrassing. You don't even want to talk about it. The problem is... That, that it establishes something underneath the surface that becomes destructive. And it, and, it, and it just puts an immediate barrier and a stop to the flow of the blessing of God. Not because God's not wanting to pour out blessing, but simply because we are putting barriers up that stop the flow of it. Paul says in Romans 12, 
uh, verse 4 and 5, just as, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the other. Each member belongs to the other. My wife is mine. She's not Peter's. She's my wife. She belongs to me. But in the context of the body, right, within a particular boundary, (laughs) a particular boundary, she also belongs to all of you. And all of you belong to me. We belong to one another. What does that mean? If you have a possession that is a treasure to you, what do you do with that? You protect that. You protect that treasure. You hold it in esteem. You, you, you don't want someone coming in and damaging it or, or stealing it. So you look after it. Folk, we belong to one another and we are the treasure. We are a treasure. And we should live in a way where we regard one another as a treasure. Protect one another. What does that mean? Well, you're very careful what comes out of your mouth regarding other people. No more gossip. No more slander. No more little secret Chinese whispers that you know are going to grow and develop and you know, by the, by the end, it's some grotesque story about someone that is nearly all lies that can destroy someone's reputation. Now, that kind of stuff has no place within the church at all. That brings disunity and it stops the flow of blessing. So we protect one another. You hear a rumor about someone, what do you do? You stop it straight away. The Bible says if you have something that's amiss between you, go to that person privately. Deal with it privately. If you can't resolve it, then bring someone who you is, a, is someone that you can trust, someone you know who walks with spiritual wisdom, and bring that person along. And then, you know, the three of you can sit down and try and resolve whatever that difference is. But you don't just sweep it under the carpet. You don't make out that, that there's not an issue because it will end up festering. You know, stuff grows. You think you can sweep dust under the carpet? I don't know how it happens, but dust seems to multiply. And instead of having a little bit of dust under the carpet, it's not long and you've got a great big lump. And that's what happens when you don't address certain issues and when you allow them to fester. And what happens? Anger rises up within you. Bitterness comes and bitterness defiles you. It's like a cancer that grows within you. And you know what happens? It can't stay in. One of two things always happens. You either go to God and you get the thing sorted out or it ends up spilling out onto other people and you start infecting other people with your own hurt and your own bitterness. And it just destroys the church. 
Man, folk, the church worldwide should be walking in such blessing, in such fullness, in such prosperity. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about every... You know, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, we've been given every spiritual blessing. We have been given, have been, past tense, have been given every spiritual blessing. So what should you and I be walking in every single day? All the fullness of Jesus. And sometimes we've just got to get honest with ourselves and say, man, there seems to be a hindrance here. There seems, something's going on here. Something's, what is it? And don't become too introspective that you completely destroy yourself with negativity, but to just be honest sometimes and say, you know, man, I've neglected this area of my life or I've, I've held this grudge against someone and it's actually, without me even understanding and realising it, it's actually caused something to get graunched up in here that's become a restriction to the flow of God's goodness and blessing and love through me. And I haven't even recognised it or realised it. And sometimes you just got to have days where you just stop and take stock, right? Not in a, not in a bad way, but just allowing the grace of God and his love just to wash over you and refresh you and then just bring to mind, hey man, that, that, that was a really bad attitude. And I said this to that person or I did this and that's, you know, I don't even re recognise or realise how much that hurt that person. And I need to actually do something to put that thing right. That's how you get genuine unity. And that's how you open the door to the blessing of God beginning to flow back through your life. Amen? This wasn't, I had no intention of saying nearly all of this today. You can only say, I'm, I just always trust that the Holy Spirit is saying what he wants to say on the day. So it's not to put a heavy on anyone. Please, you know, I'm not about doing that. But I do want us to walk in freedom. Okay? And to walk in freedom. Sometimes you've got to get rid of stuff that's actually a chain that's holding you back. It's not doing it in a condemnatory way. At all. Paul says in Romans uh, 15 verse 7, he says, Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Accept one another in exactly the same way that Jesus accepted you. How does Jesus see you? How does Jesus see you? Perfect? Perfect? So let's be honest. How do you see other people? <laughs> that's a challenge hey that's a real challenge and, and, and I think this is the thing with our life you know as believers is we're always facing this challenge of here, we know what scripture says we know what God says about us you know we know what it says how we should look and treat other people and then we've got the reality of where we live. And we're always living with this massive credibility gap. Religion will try and have us close that gap through self-effort. Jesus fills the gap. And I think one of the reasons that Paul talks about the fact, hey, it's not me who's living, it's Christ who's living in me. He wasn't 
saying that in some ethereal, spooky way. He was saying, you know, those times when that old kind of life wants to rise up, when that old kind of life wants to influence my attitudes towards people, that's not me. I'm not going to live with that kind of nature and that kind of attitude because that's the old me. That's not who I really am. No, I'm going to live Christ in me. And I think Paul, on a daily basis, had to remind himself, what is the nature of Jesus? What would, you know those, I've said it before, you know those old wristbands, they came out, when did they come out? In the 90s somewhere. What would Jesus do? Written on them. And I always thought that that was just a ridiculous little gimmicky thing, and I hate gimmicks. But the sentiment behind it, I think was good because you had some, you had a constant reminder hey, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would his attitude be towards that person? And not in a religious way, but in a, in a, in a very real way, resting in the grace of God, knowing that the Holy Spirit is in me. I can stand back, I can take a, take a step back and say, Holy Spirit, I need you right now to help me live with the way that the nature of Jesus can come out of me in this situation. So it's not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. It is Christ, it is the nature, it is the language of Jesus that will come out of my mouth. And so it isn't just, okay, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? You know, most of the trouble that we find ourselves in is because of what comes out of our mouth. So what would Jesus say in a situation? What would be the flavour and the tone of his language? We're talking about unity in the body. Imagine if the entire church talked the way Jesus talked. If we use Jesus' language, <laughs> and I'm not talking about some old King James, you know, way of speaking thee and thou. And but if we use Jesus' language, and Jesus just used normal everyday, it's not it's not the actual word, it's the tone and the flavour, and what was behind what he was saying. And I had pages and pages of really good notes today. And I think I read two verses out of them and that was it. But I believe the Holy Spirit is just touching something today that he wants to touch. What language would Jesus use? What would his speech be like? in the church it's no longer I that live but it's Christ who lives in me and the living in means that his life 
is to live through. It's to actually flow out of us. So that everywhere we go, we can be like that watering can with that spout that's just overflowing, splashing something of the kingdom upon other people. Amen? So unity with Jesus, it's where it begins. Unity within yourself. Just be satisfied with who you are. There's a lot of things in life that I'm not satisfied with. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm satisfied in Jesus. And I'm grateful and thankful for who he's made me to be. But I want to see a greater level of unity. Not conformity, not tolerance, not pseudo-unity, but genuine unity in the body of Christ right across the city of Perth so that maybe, just maybe if we could get this right, Perth could be a city that could turn an entire nation. Why don't you allow your mind just to dream something like that? Just to begin to dream, to begin to imagine a city that is in such union with Jesus, with such union with one another, that it transforms an entire nation. And if you can transform a city, you can, in, you can transform a nation. And if you can transform a nation... You can transform the nations. Amen? Let your, let your imagination just begin to dream a little bit more. Expand it to see something bigger than just what's in the four walls of this building. Amen? Father, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Well, I thank you, Jesus, that we... We, we never come as beggars because you've made us sons and daughters. You've made us your children and we are so grateful. We are so thankful for that, Jesus. But we recognize that we do have weaknesses as human beings. We have deficiencies. We have fears and doubts and a whole lot of stuff that sometimes affects us and, 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 and can be debilitating for us living in the fullness of what you promise and what you provide. And so, Father, wherever there's a roadblock, wherever there's been a hindrance because maybe an attitude that we've had, maybe because something we've said in the past, maybe something that we've put on ourselves, maybe a fear or whatever it is, Lord, our prayer today is that would you help us, Holy Spirit, to dismantle and remove whatever those hindrances are so that there can be a free flow of your blessing through our life. We thank you that from your side, you were always pouring out mercy. You are always pouring out grace and compassion and love and goodness upon us. You have given us everything in Christ. Help us to walk in that fullness, to grow and to mature and to develop so that we can grasp those things with two hands and live in the fullness and in the abundance of it. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you that we are in union with you for all eternity. We thank you, Jesus, and we rejoice in that this morning. Amen. Amen.